Hello, and welcome to episode number 25 of Michael's Record Collection. In this episode, I'm very, very pleased to have as my special guest, Brad Gillis, the guitarist from Night Ranger. Night Ranger has a fantastic new album out called ATBPO. It stands for And the Band Played On. It's very hard to remember the letters. It's very hard to say, but it's a great album. It's an easy listen, I guess is what I'm saying. Brad was very kind with his time. He was very gracious, and we got to talk a little bit about the record, a little bit about his guitar heroes, and even talked a little bit about the heavy metal famine relief album that he played on called Hearinaid, or under the band name Hearinaid. And the song was called Stars, the big hit that they did. Anyway, it was a lot of fun talking to Brad. I felt a little bit rushed in this one, so I hope it doesn't come through because I would have loved to have talked to him for longer. But I know he's a busy man. They're doing a lot of press for this album, and they should because this is an album that should be heard. If you're a Night Ranger fan back in the day, I think you're going to like this. You may need to listen to this two or three times before you start to pick up on it, but it really reveals itself on repeated listens. It's a grower, and it's got maybe one of their best rocking songs on it in Breakout since You Can Still Rock in America. Anyway, let's get to that interview with Brad Gillis, and let's do that right now. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Michael's Record Collection. I'm very excited to have with me today from the band Night Ranger guitarist Brad Gillis. Brad, thanks for your time today. Hey, Michael. My pleasure, my friend. So you have a brand new album. Uh, just came out on the 6th, just a few days ago, called ATBPO, which is uh, short for And the Band Played On, which... I always get tongue-tied and I have to think about the letters and the order they're coming out. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's coming out. It came out on a digital CD and various colors of vinyl. I've, I know I've seen blue, red, and I believe yellow. I'm not sure if there are other colors, but uh, maybe there's aquamarine and there's fuchsia and there, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of good. Cause you know, you're, you're diehard fans that have these big record collections like those and the, uh, you know, I just want to get one myself and then I could actually put a new needle on my record player and actually uh, play that and maybe some old albums that I have a huge collection of. <laughs> yeah, I'm always curious as to whether artists collect one of everything they put out. Do you do that with your work? Yeah, actually, I do. I, uh, you know, all the records and merchandise and stuff, especially going to Japan, get all these eclectic stuff from there. Uh, just grab it and bring it home, put it in a box, or I, I give some to my daughter and gets get smalls for her, and she she wears it around her friends, and then uh, you know, like you know, hey, look, my, my dad's cool, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, I try to collect anything uh, obscure and uh, Night Ranger oriented. Mm -hmm. You're on Frontiers now, Frontiers Music uh, SRL. I believe you've been on uh, with them for a few albums now. Uh, how are they treating you? Uh, yeah, it's all good, man. They uh, they release worldwide, and we get uh, good numbers and. And, uh, you know, they had us sign about 750 CDs uh, covers uh, a couple weeks ago. And that took a while. But, you know, anything to help out our own product sales and to get it out there, it's, it's fine with me. Yeah, they've been real good to us. We've been with them quite a few years, quite a few records. And they seem to have a handle on all the 80s bands and bringing uh, stuff back out and around. And uh, so we have no problems with Frontiers. They're great. Before yeah. we talk about this record a little more, I want to ask you to to tell me what your first favorite record was. My first favorite record. Well, Michael, I had the pleasure of 
having a brother that was seven years older than me. So when I was growing up playing guitar when I was about 12 or 13 in the late 60s, that's when all those great records came out. Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and Led Zeppelin and Big Brother and the Holding Company with Janis Joplin. And, and I was just getting ready to start playing lead. I was playing when I was, I started when I was eight years old, got my first guitar, had my first band when I was 10, you know, just playing chords and Gloria and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> I really got into it in route 68, 69. My brother would uh, pop in the records that I mentioned and put them on his turntable. My brother was in electronics and he built me this little box that had a guitar preamp in it. And he took the line out of the record turntable, put it into the box um, through the preamp. And then I'd have an out, I plug my guitar into the box, went through this, this distorted preamp he built out into a headphone jack into my headphones. And I was able to control the volume of the record player on my guitar to get a mix and just sit in his room and play all these records. So, I mean, as far as my idols, the number one is Jimi Hendrix. I mean, his flamboyance, he was just unreal and blown away by everything he did back then, being a Stratocaster guy myself. And then, of course, you know, Led Zeppelin came out, you know, Jimmy Page, just, you know, King of Melodies and the and the two the two note chordal arrangements and all their songs and then jeff beck you know less is more tasty so those are the three guys that influenced me the most and uh but just sitting in my my brother go out every night and i just sit in his room you know especially on the weekends when i didn't mm -hmm. have to get up early and go to school uh just sit and just play these records and start to learn how to play lead i learned everything by ear um, my, and my brother being seven years older, he had a buddy who played in a band, uh, and he would come over and give me some tips on, uh, on what I'm doing and kind of, you know, egg me along and say, yeah, yeah, do this, do that. But he told me when I was about 10 years old, my, my brother's friend came over and said, Brad, why are you, you know, taking lessons, learning Mary had a little lamb when you could just be listening to the radio, kind of pick up stuff by ear. And once you figure out what that one chord is and, you know, how it moves around, usually all the songs back then were kind of one, four, fives, you know, E, A, B kind of thing or whatever, or close facsimile thereof. I was able to uh, pick up by ear and which enabled me to learn songs in club bands uh, when I was in high school and getting out of high school, starting to play clubs and just learn everything by ear. But uh it's been a, quite a journey. And then uh, as far as Night Ranger, with the new record out, it's great. And we're, we got a 40-year anniversary next year. Oh, boy. Now, you took part in one of the, I think, maybe the most underrated of the various 80s famine relief projects with Hearing Aid. What was yes. that like for you? That was uh, quite an experience. You know, <laughs> when you walk in and you got, you know, Ingve and George Lynch and Neil Sean and you know, all these great guitar players back in 1984, they were on top of the world and every singer imaginable that was singing in every rock band all to get together for this, uh, this record. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of fun because every, I think it was, you know, it's probably a 13 minute long song and about seven or eight minutes of it is uh, <laughs> guitar solo. So everybody yeah. had like 16 bars to do their thing. Right. And, uh, I mean, how's, how I, I can't, you know, you can't compete. Everybody's trying to play as dexterous and fast as they can. I thought I can't yeah. compete with this. So I just did what I did best. I did a whammy bar harmonic solo. <laughs> so that was fun, but just to hang out with everybody was great. And then we all got together at the very end and got on a big stage podium and saying, stars, you know, the big chorus and everything. <laughs> yeah. and then you had all your singers coming in and, and doing the verses and stuff. So it was a great experience.
Now, did you guys draw lots for where you would appear, where your solo would appear, or how did that work? Oh, I know, no, Ronnie James Dio just got us in the studio and he'd play it and we'd, you know, do our thing. And then they ended up comping everything together mm -hmm. at a later point. But, uh, you know, it was great because everybody was kind of egging everybody on, you know, in a positive way to bring the best out of them. And, you know, when you're under pressure and, and you and you got all these great guitar players around you, you tend to play a little better or be more, you know, that to get more of that adrenaline going through you. So mm -hmm. that was just quite an experience and for, for good cause. And, and uh, Ronnie, uh, God rest his soul, um, he uh, really came through uh, make, doing, doing something to benefit people, you know starving people you know yeah uh so you guys are actually out on the road now is that right i am home you're you, i mean you look like you're home but i know you guys just played sturgis right yes we did <laughs> we played loveland colorado and we got stormed out with lightning and everything which no musician likes to cancel a show if you're there and the people yeah. there to see you play but we got rained out then went to sturgis and uh wow that was a crazy one uh We've done it many times, had a huge crowd, and Kerry uh, Kelly, our other guitar player, was back in Orange County. He was going to get knee surgery. Yeah. So I was going to step in and do double duty, you know, play both parts on everything. And then we had a buddy of ours, uh, Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses, come up and, right. and sat in with us on the last couple of songs. So, you know, the crowd loved that. And uh, so we pulled it off. It was a lot of fun. Good. How's everybody's health? Because, you know, you mentioned uh, Carrie's knee. I know that you had a you had, you had like a rotator cuff thing going on. It's been a, a couple of years since uh, Kelly had uh, his uh, his heart procedure. How's everybody doing? Well, <laughs> OK, <laughs> uh, uh, my shoulder's better. Uh, I had uh, surgery for a little over four months ago. First two months dead in the water doing nothing. And actually, Carrie Kelly came in and they did a couple of shows without me and he was doing double duty. But um, I had a great doctor, this guy, a uh, Chinese guy named Dr. Ho. He came in he was a Night Ranger fan. In fact, when I did my initial Zoom call with him, he was singing Sister Christian. And I was like, oh, stop. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I knew he was a guy. And I, I, I asked him straight up. I said, you know, Dr. Ho, is it going to screw with my dexterity playing guitar? I said, no, nah, no, nah, nothing near any of the nerves. Your fingers and, and your, your dexterity will be fine. And he said, you know, Brad, I'll, uh, I'll take extra care of you knowing that I was being a, him being a fan and knowing I was a musician. And he put a, a little extra time into going deep through my, my, my muscles to my rotator cuff. So he was less invasive, which meant I had an easier healing time, a shorter healing time. And I can't even see that I had three incisions about half inch, you know, where they put the camera on the scissors and all the stuff. And then one in the back, you can't even see where he did it. I mean, uh, he just, just amazing doctor. And then I find out that he does a uh, hundred of these a year, basically, uh, you wow. know, he does uh, knees and shoulders, uh, rotator cuffs all year long. He did 10 years with big sports teams and, and 20 years, uh, 16 years where he's at now. So I had a good doctor. I'm all good now. Good.
obviously you, you must know that there've been a lot of recent cancellations of tours and shows with, with COVID resurging. You know, have you had internal discussions about how you guys are going to handle that? Yeah. Well, we, we, we were, we're all vaccinated and we're all careful. We all wear masks. And uh, in fact, our show at Sturges, it was a, uh, prerequisite that everybody wears masks backstage which mm -hmm. i thought was good when we travel in the planes of course you have to wear a mask on a plane and then when we travel from our cars getting uh, from the uh, hotel to the gigs everybody's wearing masks inside the uh, transportation vehicles so we're doing our part to stay away from it now the audience that's a different story man you know i mean especially sturgis a little looser and yeah. with all this resurgence going on, I mean, uh, we're possibly anticipating things being shut down again. And if it does, it's what it is, and we'll just deal with it. Yeah. Now, the shutdown last year actually led to this new album. You guys were at home, and you you ended up on a couple Zoom calls, getting together, and then and writing some parts. And and tell me a little bit about how you guys came up with ATBPO. You know, basically, and the band played on. That's pretty much uh, how that title came about. Is uh, you know, everybody down and out. We we played on and did a record. You know, so basically, we could not get together. Um, and this started, I think, last September ish, starting the record. So we know we wanted. We we knew we were going to be down and out for a while. So we thought, hey, let's do this record. So uh, it started out with initial calls from Jack Kelly and I doing Zoom. We all had ideas, started flushing them out on Zoom. Had, you know, had our maybe a phone on the side on the recorder to record these little ideas. Um, then we brought Carrie Kelly, a guitar player, and Eric Levy, our keyboard player, in. Then they kind of started adding to the stuff. Now, Michael, everybody has their own home studio, which is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. So after the initial Zoom calls, going through ideas and getting a rough format of what we we're going to do, we came up with the arrangements and would put down a, you know, rough click track of the song and maybe a rough idea of Jack playing acoustic and singing or me playing my riff and Jack throwing something over the top or whatever it might be to, to start the process. Mm -hmm. Then uh, Kelly Kagi living in the uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona area, went into a big studio down there and cut the drums, which I think the drums came out wonderful in this record. Yeah, you know, did. the nucleus of any record is drums. Once you have great drums, I mean, uh, you know, then, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great starting point. So he did that and then we just started passing the files around everybody. They do their own thing and we get on calls. We talk about this and do that. And uh, bottom line, all said and done, we had 16-ish songs and picked the best 11 and bonus track maybe for Japan or whatever mm -hmm. and finished this thing up. Anthony Fox came in and threw all the files and everybody's parts together. And, you know, we kind of sifted through everything to get uh mix and carrie and i came up with harmonies and and then jack and kelly worked on vocal lines and and i tell you uh a record that no one would think would be possible but when you listen to the record you you would never think that we never got together once you know
Yeah, it's it's a, a really amazing album, and I'm I was going to ask you about the uh, the production because the the press release didn't say who produced it. Was it a, a self produced thing, or, or you know, was Andy the the producer for you guys? Well, right, Anthony Fox came Anthony, in and, and put it all together, but mm-hmm. you know we're we're calling him all the time and going over what should be done. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so basically, it was produced by the band and and mm-hmm. Anthony Fox, but uh, you know, band always has final say what's going on. Yeah. But uh, you know, Anthony's great. He's done so many great records. He's in, he's in high demand right now. But you know, he he delves he delves into a a record with us and he puts one hundred and ten percent into it. But it took a while and we knew we had the luxury of time mm-hmm. and having the luxury of time, doing a record, pulling off the best songs and just, you know, I mean, instead of, you know, back in the day, Michael, you know, you go in the studio, you know, for $1,500, $2,000 a day, you're doing a record and, you know, all right, you got, a, you got a half hour to do your solo, you know, you know, come up with it, do it, play it, think about it, fix it, do it again or whatever. Um we had the luxury of time to be able to, I could sit at home and know I'm going to be putting a guitar part in this section. And I play something warm up, you know, you got to warm up, you got to come up with ideas, listen back, and then you just kind of throw something down. And then, you know, maybe it ends up being kind of late at night and you're done for the day. And then you wake up the next morning and you listen, and you go, that's cool. Or that ain't cool. Or that section is cool. And I could do better here. Then you just kind of redo it and, and, and come up with the uh, final product. Okay. So you said you had 16 songs and you whittled them down to the 11 that you ended yeah, up with? 15 or 17. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. I know we have some left that at one point we may try to finish off, but uh, you know, we just, you always want to get the best songs. You want to get the songs mm-hmm. that are, you know, that people most relate to and stick in their head. And that's the whole idea with music. You know, something that when you hear it, it like brings back a great old memory or, it reminds you of some girl or whatever, whatever, just something that hits the audience, the listeners' nerves, you know, and, and, and in a good way. So we took our time. She likes to sing along to a country song. If I knew that then I would have said, come on, oh yeah. It doesn't matter because I'm lost in love again. You make it hard to make it easy. So hard to make it's so hard to make it easy It's so hard to make it easy Oh yeah How many of these, if any, did you have initially sketched out? Like did somebody bring in something that they had been working on? Or I guess what I'm asking is if, the, if it wasn't for the pandemic shutdown, would this album exist? Well, yeah, because we were planning on doing a record anyway. The last couple of records we did, we went up to Jack's house when he was living in California, about an hour from me. Mm-hmm. And um, he since sold his place and moved up to Washington State. But we'd, uh, you know, we'd go to Jack's house and record these records and, you know, just stay up there and fly Carrie in. And, and Eric lives up where Jack was and then fly Kelly in and we do our records that way so you know basically uh it was a new system for us to do this record and and we wanted to do it we were down and out doing nothing and what better way than to be creative in a covid situation yeah one of the great things about night ranger is you've always had that two guitar attack and you mentioned carrie kelly is the uh is uh, has been your your guitarist for a few years now uh 
replaced Joel Hoekstra, who in turn replaced uh, Jeff Watson originally. Do you still do it the same way in terms of, of divvying up the guitar parts? You you say, oh, this sounds like your style. This one's my style. And, exactly. and then maybe yeah. fight over the ones you both want to do kind of thing. Yeah, this has been going on for 40 years since the inception of the band. I mean, <laughs> back in the day, Watson and I, you know, we'd figure out, you know, what song fits our style the best. And, you know, and also with Jack and Kelly, who's ever vocal fit the song the best. And when they'd argue on thing, not argue, but like, well, I kind of want to do it. Well, I want to do it. It's like, all right. And Jack would sing the verse and Kelly sing the B section. And the three of us would come together for the three part harmonies on the chorus. Mm-hmm. Well, the same with Watson and me back in the day, we'd, uh, you know, you know, something that, that hard driving rock thing, you know, you know, I have Watson do it. Uh, I knew sister Christian would fit my style the best. And so I did that, but then, you know, Jeff went in and did the, you know, the ballad goodbye, did that solo. And, you know, when Jeff and I used to argue uh, about who's playing what Jack would come in and go, come on guys, just do a harmony solo. Like, okay. (laughs) So we do that. Uh, But uh, you know, basically we just kind of did whatever, fit the song the best, you know? Yeah. So what kind of gear did you use on this record? Uh, Can't Afford a Hero is that nice little ballad. Uh, you know, I I dug deep into my guitar and amp collection and uh, pulled out a 57 Strat going through a Blackface 1965 Deluxe Reverb Fender amp and got that classic tone that so many records were done with throughout the decades. And uh, so, just that, so that's what I did for Hero. When you can afford a hero You can try your luck with me When you can afford a hero Just close your eyes and let it be Cause the hero Otherwise, I used my main red strap, my 62 red strap on a bunch of songs. 
I went through, you know, Marshall's high watts and, and uh, then also through the box, you go through your computer, there's guitar rig that has great sounds, you know, kind of a mishmash of uh, different, uh, different, different uh, amps and such. But, you know, as far as guitars, I mean, I, I got this uh, gold sparkle Gibson three pickup SG that I used on a couple of rhythm parts. I had the luxury of doing whatever I want, you know, <laughs> which was fun. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, you try to, you try not to get too out there on sounds, you know, you sort of kept it mainly in the rock vein and, uh, yeah. but for hero using that 57 strat through that fender amp was awesome. And I got that tone, you know? Mm -hmm. So for people that are maybe not familiar, the, the core of the band is still yourself, Brad Gillis on guitars, uh, Kelly Kagi on drums and vocals, Jack Blades on bass and vocals. Uh, you have a new keyboard player or He's been around since I think 2011. Uh, Eric Levy is your is your keyboard player who uh, replaced Fitz and uh, Carrie Kelly on guitars that we mentioned. You guys did I think a great job with the guitar work on this album, and and there are a lot of places where I'm not sure if it's somebody using an effect to double the sound or if it's you guys playing harmonies. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, you know how you how you guys played on this? Well, we don't we don't use to like doubling effects and stuff on our guitars. Uh, there's a lot of harmonies going on. In fact, there's a lot of back parts that are sitting back there that I think is what you're talking about. And those are harmonies that are put off in the distance and maybe a little reverbed out just mm -hmm. for color. So that's one thing about a record. You want to have all these different colors to bring out different modes and, and moods for 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 the song. So uh, we had the luxury of time. So we did all this stuff. In fact, uh, it gets to the point where you know, a lot of vocals and extra vocals going on there just because we kind of threw everything into the hat. Yeah. But, you know, then when you mix, you kind of pull back some of the stuff and, you know, you don't want too much, uh, you know, too many ingredients in the soup, you know. Mm -hmm. The album starts off with, with coming for you and it, it almost sounds like, I don't know if it's a promise or a threat from the band, but it's a rocker. It's like, sounds like you're saying we're, we're coming for you. <laughs> Yeah, people are saying, "Hey, man, that should be your, your opening song." Hey, we're coming for you, so we're 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 kicking that one around. But uh, yeah, that's a great, a fun song, and you know, this record is a lot harder than our last couple of records. Uh, mm -hmm. But in a you know, good hard rock, good grooves, and but mainly it's you know, humble chorus, memorable choruses, and and hopefully solos in certain sections. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the three part harmonies. It, it's you know, they get the classic three-part harmony night ranger sound but what i like about this record is that it's it's a little more stylistically varied i think than your first three or four records i don't know if it has more to do with the maturity of the musicians writing the music or you know not working with the producer that you used over the first uh, few records but there there seems like a, a wider palette yeah well you know we the, the songs are written and they're what they are and we kind of step out into different you know kind of grooves and and tempos and uh you know once we start putting vocals on it you know if the song is viable for the record and then uh, we just finish it off and uh, i mean uh every record's different michael this one's what it is yeah Sure feels like the end 
But you could count on me to get you on your feet again. Maybe it's the time for changing always. There's someone Breakout was the first single, and this is a, it's a balls out rocker. I think it's maybe your best rocker since, I mean, not to diminish what you've done since then, but but you can still rock in America. This this is maybe the best rocker since then. And it looks like you guys are having a ball doing it when you did the video. Uh, I get a little concerned in that location. Did anybody get tetanus shots before they went out there? I don't know what that place was where you shot the video, but it was... Uh, yeah. Little little nutty out there, wasn't it? That's the salt and sea, uh, you know, out in, uh, by Palm Springs, California. No, I mean, you know, kind of smelled out there. Uh, you know, the the story with the lake right there. It used to be, I think, either freshwater or salt water. I think I think it was salt water. And then erosion came, you know, uh, 30, 40 years ago. And salt water mixed with fresh water and it killed all the fish. And this, uh, this, uh, this little resort that people used to go to, um ended up being a ghost town well all the people that live there now are like uh abstract uh artists and stuff and they take a lot of their stuff to burning man and these crazy things out there anyway they bring them back and they put them out in the fields and around the area and then when we went out there checking out we thought wow this place is awesome you know just <laughs> uh so we we did both uh the first two videos there like doing videos do you do you is it just kind of like a, a occupational hazard to you or you know how do you oh, feel no, we like we like doing anything and everything you know the thing is back in the day doing videos it, it would take us two days for one video and cost us a hundred thousand dollars you know it was kind of a joke if you think about it you know you got all these big you know directors going oh do this do that you know we just had brian isley a good buddy of mine who does a lot of video stuff we just had brian come out and did both videos in one day and two separate locations okay. you know so uh we we had it all done in probably an eight hour period you know as you said the mtv 40 year anniversary do you did you were you aware of that i know that mtv was very a uh, big part of, of, of your success and and i think vice versa i think bands like night ranger were part of the the reason that mtv was successful 
Sure. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that helped us to, you know, break out of the box with Don't Tell Me Love You and our first record, Dawn Patrol. Uh, MTV just came out with that 24-7 format. They didn't have enough videos to put on it. So when we did our Don't Tell Me Love Me video, they probably literally played us 20 to 30 times a day, Michael. No problem. But put a face to the band of the sound. And then when we go on tour, people recognize us because they saw on the video. So and then we probably did a dozen videos overall, and, and they all were pretty big on MTV. So that was a definite... Uh, uh, definite uh, catalyst for us. You have some songs on here, a, a couple of ballads, but they're a little different than the old style Night Ranger ballads. I, I feel like they're a little more almost like bluesy, country rockish, more than more so than like what you had on Sister Christian or Sentimental Street. Yeah, just something a little different, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's that's part of those songs I'm telling you about, you know, things being a little different and uh, but if they end up, you know, making the grade, we put them on the record, you know, just mm-hmm. for a little diversity. You know what I mean? Do you have a favorite song on this record? Oh, I like Breakout. You know, Breakout's got that, you know, Coldest December. Uh, I love Hero, Can't Afford a Hero. There's, you know, I, there's a lot of more I like it, but I, I haven't really listened to it much because we listened so much back then mm-hmm. that uh, I'll, I'll sit down and listen to it here real soon, just get back into it. But uh you know, when you make a record and uh, going through all the mix and everything, the last thing you want to do is hear it. <laughs> but it's coming around. But it's great. I, I, I'm very proud of the record. I know you guys don't play a lot of new stuff when you play live, but, uh, you know, which which tracks are you putting in your live set? Uh, we're already doing Breakout. And we're trying to figure out a couple more to do, but we haven't had the luxury of a, doing a sound check to be able to pull that off. So, so yeah, Monkey's a good one bring it all home. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great songs on this. And I will tell you that the mark of a good album usually is that it doesn't hit you right away and it grows on you kind of, yeah, it grows on repeated yeah, listens. I, 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 I feel like the first time I listened to that, I was like, mm, okay. And then I listened to it again. I got into a little more and a little more. And I, I think it definitely was a grower. I would encourage people that if they, if they're just kind of lukewarm on it the first time, just give it a few more spins and it'll kind of reveal itself, especially those exactly. subtle guitar parts in the background and those, those harmonies. Exactly. Um, before I let you Thanks, go, uh, you got, you have a, you have a solo record, new solo record you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. It's been taking away too much time only because uh, this new Night Ranger record came out and they don't want to uh, stack them on top of each other. So I'm trying to get that done, but uh yeah, man, I'm staying busy. We'll see what happens with touring. But this new record's kind of fun to have out. We got Japan book. We got the Kiss Cruise coming up book. See if that happens. Uh, Summerfest coming up in a couple of weeks. Another big uh, concert. But uh, we got a lot going on. Well, Brad Gillis, thank you so much uh, for your time. I appreciate it. And um, you know, good luck with the record. Stay safe, stay healthy, and good luck with the tour. Thank you, Michael. Take care, buddy. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.